Flowing Water Fragrant Mountains is a podcast series chronicling the hiking expedition which Jim Zumberg undertook in the summer of 2019. It is a collaboration between Jim and his son Thomas. That's me. Episode 6, Affirmation. We were all happy to reach the Onion Valley Trailhead above the town of Independence after completing a four-day, 50-mile trek together. By we, I mean myself and a group of three friends who had joined me near the middle of my multi-week John Muir Trail Enterprise in September 2019. The four of us had hiked from Lacante Ranger Station up and over Mather, Pinchot, Glen, and Kearsarge Passes. We enjoyed camaraderie, perfect weather, and fabulous scenery. Debbie's car was waiting for us in the backpacker's parking lot. It was time for Debbie, Patty, and Ted to get back to their normal routines, and they had a long drive still to get to L.A. Less than a week before, the three of them had met up at Onion Valley, left Debbie's car there, and then driven together in Patty's car to the trailhead above Bishop. There, they started their backpack to meet up with me at Lacante, and now Debbie would shuttle Patty and Ted back to that trailhead. But first, they dropped me off at the Mount Williamson Hotel in Independence, where my last resupply was waiting. In my original planning, I had allocated just one night there, with a return to the trail the next day. But about midway through the just-completed four-day segment with friends, I decided that two nights, with a zero day in between, would give me a better chance to complete the JMT. I had been texting my wife Cindy on the trail using my satellite communicator, and she had been able to arrange that. My friends and I said our goodbyes, and I checked into my room. The hotel had a package deal for thru-hikers that included storage of your resupply, breakfast, laundry, and a car shuttle to the trailhead. Laurelin, the owner, was very helpful. She invited me to choose some loner clothes, a clean pair of shorts and a t-shirt, while she took care of my laundry. She had good information on the few available dinner options in Independence, and I decided to try the taco truck just up the street. Later, using conventional cell phone service now instead of my satellite communicator, I texted Debbie and Patty, saying, Loner clothes perfectly functional. Hope y'all are doing well. Note, taco truck in Independence is fabulous. Tell Ted I enjoyed hiking with him. Hope he got his Gatorade and Patty got her Starbucks. As is common for backpackers nearing the end of a trip, on the last portion of the trail, Patty and Ted had been thinking about what goodies civilization had in store for them. Thursday, my zero day, started with a nice community breakfast prepared by Laurelin. I went back to my room and studied the National Geographic map booklet to see how far it was going to be from Onion Valley back to the JMT proper and out via Whitney Portal, a little under 50 miles. This would be my highest altitude segment yet, 
After retracing steps to get over Kearsarge, I would have two major passes, Forrester and Trail Crest, both over 13,000 feet, before a long descent into the portal. There was also Mount Whitney itself, a long four-mile round trip just below Trail Crest. I had been thinking of how I might be able to replace my trail shoes, which were showing substantial wear. But, aside from gas, lodging, and a few options for food, independence had little else. Bishop, 40 miles to the north on Highway 395, though, was a major town, and I knew it had one or two shops with a good selection of gear for backpackers. Rather than hitchhike, I found that there was a northbound commuter bus during the week, leaving Independence at 8.45 in the morning, and a southbound from Bishop at 1.15 in the afternoon. There was even a reduced fare for seniors. When I got to Bishop, I first went to East Side Sports. On a Thursday morning in late September, it was pretty quiet. I told the salesperson I was looking to replace the shoes I had on. It was a pleasant surprise to learn that they had the exact same make, model, and size, and I bought them on the spot. I asked her to discard my old pair. While throwing them away, she said, Those don't smell as bad as usual for thru-hikers. Both funny and embarrassing, actually. I walked around town for a little while, had a filet of fish and fries at McDonald's, went to the pharmacy and got some bandages for my fingertips. Yes, this was a zero day, but it turns out I walked nearly six miles, just about the right amount to break in my new shoes. After returning to Independence, I went to the post office to get a priority mailbox. I had just enough time to get back to the hotel, pack up a couple pounds worth of stuff that I wasn't using, including some extra food, and get back to the post office before it closed to mail the package home. For food that night, I just had beer, chips, nuts, and cheese, all from the local mini-mart. I turned on the TV and listened to a developing story about a phone call with Ukraine. Funny how I had quickly and completely forgotten about the 24-7 continuous news over the past few weeks. It was something of a shock to be reminded of it. On Friday morning, after another great breakfast, I waited for the shuttle that would take me to the trailhead. Paul, the driver, arrived just after 8 a.m. I put my backpack and trucking poles in his SUV and we headed out. Moments after we left the main highway, now driving up toward the trailhead, we came upon a young couple with backpacks, hitchhiking. Before we reached them, Paul asked me if it was okay to give them a ride, and of course it was. Turns out that I had met them, Billy and Megan, a couple of weeks earlier while climbing over Donahue Pass in Yosemite. Soon we arrived at Onion Valley, and Paul dropped us off. Billy and Megan started out in front of me, but it wasn't long before they took a break and I passed them. 
I had made the right decision to spend a second night in independence. I was rested, felt better with my new shoes, and was now making good time up and over Kearsarge. Soon I was back on the JMT, and then down to a low point at an intersection with a trail from the west called Bubbs Creek. It was 1 p.m. I saw a few other hikers that day. I was anxious to make good progress toward Forester Pass and followed the trail uphill now for another three hours, stopping for the day in an area where a few small trees protected a handful of nice campsites. My friend John, who had paused text communication with me the prior week while I was hiking with friends, resumed that afternoon. He said, Solid day, Jim. Looks like 14 miles. You're three miles from the pass with 2,000 feet of gain to go. I said, Thanks. Found a spot that should have some protection from the wind. Then, to Cindy, End of walking today. Need to hunker down before the sun sets. I had been looking at the weather forecast and was seeing things like slight chance of light snow and temperatures below freezing beginning Saturday evening into Sunday. Another party going in the direction opposite of me showed up and set up camp. I settled in for the night. On Saturday morning, I greeted the other backpackers on my way to fetch water at the stream nearby. I broke camp and started moving. My aloneness became more conspicuous as I ascended into an environment of increasingly rare natural life. But then, not too far below Forester Pass, I noticed a colorful plant in the rocks. Hard to imagine how it survives. Somehow it was an affirmation. I was on autopilot now, cresting Forester. This was the first pass on my whole journey where I encountered no other hikers. It was 10.30 in the morning. I didn't linger. I began a long descent, first to a junction with the Shepherd Pass Trail, coming in from the northeast, then along the Bighorn Plateau with a clear view to Mount Whitney. Next, I arrived at another junction, the High Sierra Trail coming in from the west. I was now at a low point at 10,400 feet with decent tree cover. There would be no lower elevation until well into my descent to Whitney Portal, two days in the future. I set up camp just beyond the ford of Wallace Creek. A little later, a small group of four or five arrived, one of whom, 50s I guessed, had a dog with her, a full poodle it looked like. The dog wandered in my direction, and the woman said, Don't worry, she's friendly. It wasn't the first time I'd heard this phrase, only then to experience something else. I'm better than I used to be as far as thinking twice before piping up, but not this time. I said, I didn't know dogs were allowed back here. She said, oh, she's a seeing eye dog. I'm blind in one eye. Of course I felt bad. The best I could come up with on the spot was a lame but sincere, oh, I'm sorry, I hope she helps out with that. Mm-hmm.
checked the weather forecast, which predicted an overnight low of about 20 degrees and windy, the high on Sunday would still be below freezing. I texted John with, Tomorrow may be a short day to crab tree only. Wind and cold means I need to stay low in the trees, plus rest before the final day. John agreed that staying in the trees was a good call. Crabtree was a reference to where I was thinking of camping on Sunday. To Cindy, I texted, safe and sound at the second to last campsite. Expect cold and wind tonight. Yes, I was a little obsessed with the weather. When I started my backpack two and a half weeks earlier, I learned right away that sleeping in my long johns was uncomfortably warm. This night would be the first that the opposite was true, and I was thankful that I hadn't ditched the long johns in the package I mailed home from Independence. And up until now, I typically didn't need to worry about water freezing in my Nalgene bottles overnight. But tonight I put hot water in those bottles and place them inside my sleeping bag. My visible breath and the ice particles on the tent walls confirmed, at first light on Sunday, that I would be cold once I exited my sleeping bag. So I waited longer than usual, hoping that I would soon get some direct sunlight. Eventually I got up. Hot coffee helped a little, but everything was just that much harder to do because of the freezing, literally, cold. At about 9.30, when I was finally ready to start walking, I texted John with an almost apologetic, late start today, very cold. Crabtree is a major area where the northbound Pacific Crest Trail joins up with the JMT. There is plenty of camping there, and it has a backcountry ranger station. Although it was less than five miles away, it would be the last protected area before the long ascent to Trail Crest and Mount Whitney. Another option for Sunday night was Guitar Lake, another three miles on the trail and 750 feet higher in elevation. After hiking for about an hour, I texted John saying, Crabtree is manned, but don't know when they close for the season, and asked, Can you tell me what weather.gov forecasts for low temp and wind tonight at Guitar Lake? I hadn't learned how to use my satellite communicator for forecasts at places other than my current position. I heard back from John within the hour that tonight's forecast for Guitar was mostly clear with a low of 15 degrees and winds gusting to 35 miles per hour. I would arrive at Crabtree around noon. I didn't need to make a decision before then. <laughs>